Welcome to the Cap Gemini North America Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. My name is Janet Pope and I am the CSR Director for the US and Canada. I look forward to engaging with each of you on diversity, digital inclusion, and sustainability challenges and initiatives. Let's lead as architects of positive futures together. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. Very excited for the panelists that we have for this episode. Two great leaders that I know very well, and we are really just having a good conversation about what we need from organizations and what we need to do as individuals to further support Black talent based on everything that's happened across the U.S. and the globe and wanting to make sure that we're really intentional and not just meeting the moment, but truly driving permanent change. I'll be honest, this content has been a little more challenging maybe than other podcasts in probably being overcritical and making sure we're bringing and talking about the right topics and with the right tone. I've also, I'm aware this is all happening in the backdrop of great conversations across organizations around what to do, how to be supportive, how to get to root cause and move things forward. My own team is reading new resources and having really good conversations as a diverse group. And I'm very aware that there are other conversations that are going on that are extremely frustrating where we're hearing, you know, reverse racism and just all sorts of things that once you understand how this really works, just don't make sense. Um, Clearly, this is going to continue to be an ongoing debate that's not going to get solved in 2020. And we're here to have our footprint in the conversation. Without further ado, let me turn it over to our panelists for some quick introductions. Excited to be on with you today, Janet. Thank you for the opportunity. I am Wendy Walker, principal and an account executive within our North America natural resources and chemical segment. I'm currently focused on really growing our relationship from a Capgemini perspective with a global steel manufacturing company that happens to be based in the U.S. with operations in both Poland and China. My background, um, all kinds of areas within global IT services delivery and sales strategy. I'm married to my college sweetheart, and we are together raising two very vibrant and busy teams at home. My name is Greg Bentham. I lead the pre-sales organization for North America Cloud Infrastructure Services, GBL. I've been with Capgemini coming up on seven years in about four days. And to summarize what I do, I, it's all about growing the business for me. Very excited to be part of the growth engine of, of Capgemini, and that's what gets me going. I live in Michigan uh, with my wife, two children, ages uh, nine and four. And I have an older child that's uh, thankfully off the payroll. 27. I facilitated a number of inclusive leadership workshops over the years, and I've recognized that nothing connects us and brings us together as much as sharing our stories. I've seen 
the power of sharing stories to help people understand each other's experiences and raise awareness about different things that we go through, regardless of our diversity identity and how we self-identify. I wanted to really enable Wendy and Greg to share their story through a question that has been shared a number of times in the last 60 days. And that's when is the first time that they recognized that they are black and that there was something associated with being black in our society? I've always known that I am black. It, it really, growing up, we didn't have a choice, um, especially coming up in the South. So born and raised in Texas and being heavily raised by my grandmother. So spent a large amount of my younger years with her, someone who has picked cotton. And I watched her work a number of blue collar jobs and engage with different people, of course, uh, non-African American, non-black folks. And I knew really young that there was a difference. And it's funny too, that we're talking about this today, Janet, because today actually marks one year, the day that my grandmother actually passed away And it's like since she's been gone, I've remembered even more some of the lessons that I've learned growing up, just her looking at her hands and being able to see that she'd actually pick cotton and you could see the wear and tear on her hands and hearing the stories of what it was like for her growing up. So I I had to know I was different, uh, especially because I had to do that for survival purposes. There were things that you said and you didn't say. And even though I was not growing up in slavery times, it was very well known While I know and always have known that I'm black, it didn't limit me in terms of my view of the world or opportunities. It's certainly a necessity for my children to understand now who they are as they engage with kids or in environments where they're now looked at probably as a minority because they're lower in terms of population. My recognition or recollection of understanding there was a difference was when I saw the, the movie Roots. Um, And that movie was probably in the late 70s. um, When I saw that movie uh, as a kid, and it was it was pretty uh, shaking, you know, that I, you know, began to ask questions. And I would say, until until that time, I really there was really never a difference. So, I mean, growing up in the Caribbean, while the majority of the population is uh, is black, there, there are several um, white people that live in the Caribbean still. You know, it was really the movie Roots where I recognized there was a difference in treatment. Um, and that's where the, the, the conversation, uh, you know, was we, we started to have a conversation with my parents um, where we went over difference and racism and, and things like that. You know, because I really couldn't get a grasp as as to why at that time. And it was at that point in time where, you know, it was explained that, you know, you have certain people that feel a certain way because of the color of your skin. And, you know, for certainly you're not you're not really supposed to um, pass that judgment on anyone Uh, for the color of their skin and, you know, everyone deserves a fair shake. In addition to being great executives at Capgemini, 
Wendy and Greg are both leaders in their communities and parents. I wanted to talk with them about how they coach their children to navigate the world while black, as well as stereotypes that always come up like the angry black woman. So my my son is probably too young to recognize the difference being being four. Uh, my daughter though is is very aware. Uh, we've always uh, made her. Um, we were we were quite early, and even her school for that matter. Um, you know acknowledges. You know people are different. Um, we from a very early age. Uh, provided a lot of books. She's she's into reading, uh, which describes difference and you know um, you know taking pride in hair hair style and texture. She's got very curly hair, uh, like her mother, and um, you know just taking pride in 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 being black and it's okay. Similarly, you know there may be less apparent. Uh, racism where they're walking into some place and, you know, not being viewed the same in all cases. But I have had to let them know the difference. I mean, they are African-American, they are Black. And in the environments that they're engaging in, there have been situations where people have made wrong assumptions because of who they are and what they look like. And there have been comments as well. You know, their hair is different. Um, They may do something different culturally that sticks out. So, I didn't start them as small children knowing, you know, that there's a difference between being being black or white or I didn't raise them that way. We colored when my children were young, they colored pictures with a peach crayon. But once they got into the school age and got into an environment where they were around more and more people who were not like them, they became aware of the fact that they were black. They've been able to thrive and have great relationships. They've also encountered racism. They've also encountered words being said to them that we don't want our kids to hear. And they've also encountered situations where they had you know, been accused of something. I'll, I'll give you one quick example. I have a 16-year-old. He um, attends a school that is, as I mentioned, you know, there are not as many Black students in, the, in his school. And there was an accusation from a female white student. And the school immediately took her point of view. And I had to get involved and advocate for him. So through those situations, we've learned a lot of lessons. I'll, I'll shift to my daughter. She is involved in an internship this summer. And there was a situation where she wasn't pleased with the results of a competition. And she was advised to be careful not to come across as angry. Now, this was well-meaning feedback. And I got it. I understood why. Well, she was talking to me just last night about it. And she was like, Mom, you know, I really am frustrated because I'm not an angry black woman. This is what she's telling me. And I said, well, okay, why do you feel that you are? And she was sharing the feedback and it was given to her to be careful because she was passionate. And it was to help her understand that that passion can sometimes be misconstrued for something that's negative. And I didn't have the right answers for her. I encouraged her to be patient and understanding that this is a learning process, but it's quite okay to be passionate and that it's not your problem if other people misunderstand that. And my daughter's 14, but as I mentioned, she's very aware. She understands of what's going on around her. And it's a tough conversation. I have in 
my professional career had to mentor and discuss that topic. And I've even been in situations when I've had a mentee kind of discussing with me with so much anger that I've had to say, so let's, you know, let's think about what's happening. And it was a racially involved discussion. There are some times when anger is necessary, but as professionals, we definitely have to be mindful of how we engage with others. And there's a way to communicate the way that you feel, but we're human and you get to have emotion. And if you have emotion, it's important that other people don't take advantage of that and make it something that it's not. Let's talk a little bit more about stereotypes in the workplace related to black professionals. The notion that we're angry or someone who needs to be feared or a microaggression that I've seen and heard a lot is the backhanded compliment around being articulate because it's said in a way that someone's so shocked or surprised that a black professional can give a presentation and sound that way. Um, I know I've had conversations with Asian colleagues around the microaggression of being asked, where are you from? Like they can't be from Atlanta or LA or Chicago, that they have to answer Japan or Korea. And we all are experiencing these things that I think some folks who've never really experienced a microaggression will feel is small and not a big deal and that we're being too politically correct. And I guarantee that if you deal with that day in and day out, you will not feel a part of the team. You will not feel included and it will not be an environment where you want to show up. So let's make sure we're paying attention to these things and all understanding how we can support each other in the workplace. I want to hear from my panelists. When it came time for me to engage in new environments and meet new people, we always looked at it as we're friends and we're peers and we're not you know, coming in with any kind of preconceived notion the same way that we would want others to engage with us. But I definitely see that there is a pressure for people of color and particularly black people, women and men, to show up a certain way so that they're not misunderstood. I've seen several instances where confidence has been misunderstood as being overly aggressive or passion for that matter has been misunderstood as being overly aggressive. Obviously, the, the perception of, of Black people not being, you know, something to fear is another thing. And I see an amplification of that um, with a lot of these Karen-like things that are being posted up. You know, the whole weaponizing, if you would, of, you know, whiteness against blacks for, for whatever reason, right, to gain whatever advantage seems to be getting more attention. You know, there's a lot of, of prejudging, if you would, for whatever reason. I'll give you an example. You know, I could go into a store and, you know, if you think about, you know, winter in Michigan, pretty, um, pretty serious, right? 
And, and I'll tell you, the reception is a lot different when I come into the store with my Tims, my jeans, my goose, you know, my goose down Parker or what we would call snorkels in, uh, in Brooklyn and, my, and a scully hat versus coming with my overcoat suits and hard shoes off of the plane on the way home. Way, way different reception. Right. And so, you know, I think the whole prejudging thing and, and making awareness that there is an element of that that happens because these videos are showing some stuff that people would initially turn around and subscribe and say, well, yeah, OK, yeah, we, you know, based on their word and even Wendy, going back to your situation where there was there was no, you know, the initial response to your son was you know, hey, he's probably at wrong, you know, doing wrong before you were able to jump in and advocate. Now we have all these videos that are actually advocating, right, for so many wrongs that seem to be so ingrained. It's funny that you say that, Greg, because it was a video that helped to seal the, the communication around this for him. Mm. And it really does. I mean, it hits home for me when you think about just accusations and it's small, I mean, that was in a classroom setting. That was, that was nothing, you know, major that would end up being, you know, someone's getting arrested or there's some huge punitive damage that has to be paid for. But this was more just in the classroom. That doesn't sound like my son. I don't think so. Mm. And so we had to get involved. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something to be, I would say I appreciate the attention around now and of all the things happening to show shine the light on that, I, I believe is helpful because now people are going to need to think about it before they react or misreact, if you will, to something that they think is happening. Let's talk about root cause for a moment. And I recognize that in a 25 minute podcast, I cannot do this justice. I won't get into the militarization of police or the impact of redlining or even the way that media has portrayed black people in movies and television and other outlets for decades longer as, you know, hoodlums and thugs, how that has impacted the way that society interacts and views and um, what the stereotypes are around Black people. All that aside, if I think about what will have the most impact to move us forward and ensure that this is not just a moment in time, another moment in time, but truly a step towards permanent change we have to think about how generational wealth is created and we have to make sure that organizations, societies, um, individuals are working to fix the pay gap. We talk about this in terms of gender balance and gender equity and I completely understand how we've gotten to that being a, a huge factor of why we don't have parity on, around gender. And I'm saying that that there's some similarities there. Granted, of course, there are very many differences impacting the black community than women. 
and we need to fix the pay gap for black talent. And by we, I mean everybody. I'm talking about all organizations here. So that's my two cents whenever I'm asked what's the most impactful thing that we can do. Equal pay for equal work. But let's hear from our panelists as well. And when you have impoverished communities of people, the limitation of opportunities that exist can impact an entire race. I mean, when you look at the numbers today, um, and I'm not an expert on, you know, the on stats and statistics around this, but because I'm in the U.S. and I want to be informed, I started just doing some research on when you look at the last U.S. Census Bureau publication around poverty and the stats, 21% of black Americans are considered impoverished. And on top of that, that's the highest group in terms of in poverty by race. And so if you think of it from that perspective alone, and then you think about what plagues people who are within poverty or impoverished situations, the limitations there are pretty huge. So systematically, I agree, there's something foundationally wrong that has to be addressed. Uh, I mean, I just, I can't even list all the impacts from just being in the lower socioeconomic group of population of people. Um, there's, there's just so much there to be said. It impacts every other place. So the, the quality of education. And then, you know, what do you have within those environments to make sure that you're showing these kids these, so you can start at the childhood level, that there is possibility for them. How do you model that? How do you bring in the right, I would say, constructs and the right resources to make sure that you're creating a, an avenue outside of that, the situations that they're in that limit them today? You know, you mentioned the poverty or earnings. Let's, I mean, even further, the, what, what will get you out of those situations is how you're able to pass or acquire, amass, and pass generational wealth. Well, we're we're ten times less than our counter our white counterparts when it comes to that, right? So even that's suggestive that there is a no time soon fix for what we're talking about, and really the action around fixing this is really got to pick up the pace, right? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. I want to thank Greg Bentham and Wendy Walker for sharing their perspectives and their stories as it relates to navigating professional careers as Black talent. As always, I like to make sure that we share some things that we can take forward and actions that we can drive regardless of who we are, regardless of what organizations we work for, regardless of what levels we're in in those organizations, things that we can all do to make sure that we're making impact. Now, first, I would say we have to make sure that everybody does involve themselves in it. And we have a tendency to look at things bigger than our circle of influence. And that's true. I mean, sometimes things are bigger than what we can accomplish um, on our own. Uh, I don't know I, if you're familiar with Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Most people have read it. And he talks about there's two circles in our lives. One's a circle of concern. The other is a circle of influence. Well, the circle of concern is all the stuff 
that's important to us, personal, all the way out to global. So everything, racism, everything, what you're doing in your home, all that's important. But the circle of influence is a smaller circle that fits inside. And oftentimes when there's so much in the circle of concern, people don't move forward. They don't make progress and they undercut the power. And he talks about this. They mistakenly place things outside of their circle of influence because they think it's bigger than them. So the first call to action is to accept that we all have a circle of influence. And what it looks like are those things that you can commit to. So you have to have a circle of commitment within that circle of influence. I'm concerned that when the marches stop and the protests stop and the conversations are further away because we've moved further away from the events that have happened in our nation and globally, that people will stop making positive action. And we have too much to lose to allow that to happen. So that's why I get so passionate, not angry, but passionate about what we have to do together to move us forward. My call to action, the suggestion would be rooted premised in first and foremost as a leader. It's incumbent on me as well as the other leaders of of our organization specifically to believe we have an issue, right? And, And truly commit to solving the issue. Oh, wow. It seems like we've come to the end of another Cap Gemini North America Corporate Social Responsibility Podcast. Again, I'm Janet Pope. And on behalf of the entire North America CSR team, I'd like to thank you for listening. If there's a specific topic on diversity, digital inclusion, or environmental sustainability that you'd like us to cover, please comment in the podcast channel. We want to hear from you. 